listen. Just listen. What do I hear? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's over. It is over. You know what I'm talking about. It started back in the middle of November. And our lives flipped upside down. Because we had to first figure out which family we were going to eat Thanksgiving with. And which family we weren't going to eat with. And who we were going to offend and who we weren't going to offend. And oh my goodness, how we were going to deal with Uncle Bill. Because you know, when he shows up at the meeting, someone has to control him. And then planning the meal. Well, Susie doesn't like this, but Paul's a vegetarian. But, you know, what are we going to do? And then we have Thanksgiving. And we think that we're good. We think things are fine. But no, the super expressway to Christmas has just opened up. Because now we got to start buying the gifts. And we got to figure out who to get what. And are we going to buy the same amount? And how much money are we going to spend? And are we going to buy that cell phone? Is it, are they too young for the cell phone? Or are they, are they not too young for the cell phone? And what about an electronic toy? And just all of those things. we got to figure all of that out. And then on top of that, then begins the parties. Whose party are you going to go to? Because... Joe and Sue are having a party on the same day, at the same time. Now, you think Joe and Sue would talk to each other, but no. They plan the party on top of each other. So who am I going to offend? Who am I not going to offend? And so we go through that, trying to figure out whose party we're going to go to, what event we're going to go to, what special celebration we're going to do. And then comes Christmas Eve. What time is dinner? Is the restaurant going to be open? Is the restaurant going to be crowded? Can we get in and out and to the service on time? And then we finally make it to the service. Kids in tow. We look like a normal family, but it has been a disaster. Let me tell you that leading up to that. And we sit there and we make it to Christmas Eve service. And the entire time the pastor is preaching, I know he's looking at me because little Johnny is playing with his candle. The entire service. And he's lifting it up and he's putting it down. And he's talking and he's singing songs. But what do you do? Little Johnny's in the service with you. So you make it through that. And you go home. And then comes Christmas morning. You get up. You sit in the chair. You have breakfast, and then everyone gathers around the tree. And you have spent six weeks, people, six weeks preparing for this moment. That lasts about three minutes. <laughs> and you are being thanked for gifts that you didn't even know you bought. 
You are receiving gifts that you have no idea what you're ever going to do with them. And just the madness of you spent all this money and the kids are outside playing with the boxes that the gifts came in. That's what your day is like. And then the food and the meal. And then you think we're done. But no, Jan, December 26 starts. And now you have to go to all the parties and events and things that people didn't have time to get in before Christmas. So they planned it after Christmas. So it's a week of visiting people that you couldn't visit before Christmas. Going to parties that people couldn't have before Christmas. And then comes New Year's Eve. Which party are we going to go to again? Because everybody has a New Year's Eve party. Who am I going to offend? Who am I not going to offend? People, it is exhausting. And then we got to figure out, is it dressy? Is it not dressy? Are we wearing black and red? Are we wearing green and gold? Are we wearing blue jeans? Are we wearing dress pants? What are we doing? Are we going to stop at 10 o'clock? Are we going to stop at midnight? But. January 1st, it comes. It's my favorite day of the year. Because I checked my calendar. I have nothing to do this week. I have no parties. I have no events. I have none of that. But you know... Today, as you know, we just sit, we relax, we drink our coffee, we drink our tea, we just sort of catch our breath. You know, I sort of ponder and think about, with all this madness, all of this craziness that we just went through, and understand, it was fun, I enjoyed it. Watching the kids was amazing. Spending time with people that you haven't spent time with is great. Being with family. But with all of that craziness, what part of the story did we miss? Because we were so busy, what did we miss? You know, we know the story. It starts with Zachariah and Elizabeth. They have no children. He goes to the temple. And he's going to be the father, and she's going to be the mother of John the Baptist. And then we have the announcement to Mary that she's going to have a baby, and it's going to be the Messiah. And then, of course, there's the dad, Joseph. We've got to deal with that, because he's going to marry this woman, but she's pregnant. How do you deal with that? And then Herod makes this decree, which... Gets Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem where they're supposed to be. There's no room. And they have the baby in a manger in a cave, in a cave stable. And then, of course, there's the shepherds, the announcement to them. And then after Jesus' birth, he's presented at the temple, which fulfilled the prophecy and the promise to Simeon that he would not die without seeing the Messiah. And then, of course, we can't forget the star that led the wise men to Jesus. The angel warns Joseph to flee to Egypt because of danger. Then Herod dies. And then we know at age 12, 
Well, his parents say that Jesus got lost, but I really think the parents got lost because Jesus was exactly where he was supposed to be. They just forgot to check to make sure he was in the wagon before they left. But what else do we know? Nothing. Nothing. And the thing that really hit me this year was that the thing that we miss at Christmas is the thing that led up to Christmas and the thing that follows the birth of Jesus. And that is profound silence. Quiet. The Bible is silent. But the other part about the story that really is neat is that God used such unlikely people to do this. He used Zechariah, just an ordinary priest, not the chief priest, not the the big priest, not just one of 18,000 priests who was part of a group that two weeks a year would go to the temple and present offerings. And of that group, they would throw lots. They would do it twice a day. One priest would go in during one of the times. And this was an honor that the priest got one time in their lifetime. So Zechariah does that. That was the day. And he goes in. And God breaks his silence and tells him that he's going to be the father of John the Baptist. And what happens next? He silences Zechariah. He breaks the silence and he goes back to silence. He was a priest that was probably stigmatized because of his wife's lack of having a child. That was a thing that people thought, what sin have you committed? And so for nine months, he's silent, waiting for his baby to be born. And then Mary, a simple, common girl. Not this famous person in town, not the daughter of the priest, not the daughter of the ruler, not the the daughter of some leader in the community. No, a common girl, a virgin. She was a child in our terms today. Engaged to be married, not to the big businessmen in town, but to a carpenter. And he breaks the silence again to talk to her. And then Joseph, regular run-of-the-mill, blue-collar worker. Nothing special. And once again, first, another child. A simple, common, young man in the middle to lower class in society. But there's something unique about those announcements that we don't really think about. God announced to children that they are going to be the parents of the Messiah. And they had to go talk to their parents. The shame that Mary's mother must have felt. What do I do? My daughter's pregnant. The story she tells me, God hasn't told me this, but he leaves it up to children 
to proclaim his message. And to Joseph, of course the family wants her to divorce her. Set her aside. She will shame our family. What little bit of influence and prestige we have will be gone. And the child has to tell his parents, no, God told me. And then to the shepherds, the most unlikely people you would ever think of to be given wonderful, great news to share. You see, shepherds are viewed very poorly in society. They were thieves. They were robbers. They were people that would take advantage of you. They stayed on the outskirts of town. If a shepherd witnessed a crime, they weren't even trusted to be called into court. They were not allowed to be a witness in court because of the stigmatism about them and how they cheat and steal. And that's the people that God broke the silence to. Not on the main stage, not on CNN or, or Fox News or MNSBC or whatever it is these days. None of that. To small, uninfluential people that not a lot of people were really will, willing to listen to. But it was all surrounded by this profound silence. And that silence started as the Old Testament ends. In Malachi, God is talking to the people, which they didn't know was the last time that he was going to talk to them for 400 years. And they were bickering with him, and he would say something, and they go, well, how do we know? And we finally get down to one of the last arguments in Malachi 2.17. God must have just been weary at this point. And God says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, but the people said back, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or maybe because we ask, where is the God of justice? That's the way they spoke to God. And God gave one last statement. A command that says in Malachi 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and the rule that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Remember. And that is the last command he gives. And he uses the word remember. Remember is to preserve a thing, to keep it from perishing or being lost. To keep it within oneself, in your mind, lest it be forgotten. And then God goes silent 
for 400 years. And I tried to figure that out. What, what does 400 years looks like, look like? And that means if we took a, seven, a standard age lifespan of 75 years and said that every, every person would live for 75 years, and at 25, they would have a child. And you follow that through. That means that when the 17th generation begins, God's going to speak again. Your 14th, 15th, 16th generations will sort of still be around. Some of them will be on their deathbed. Others, the 17th generation, will be a newborn. But what happened during those 400 years? God said, remember. They had no idea that he said, you need to remember because I am not speaking again for quite some time. They didn't remember. You see, the Sadducees sort of the liberal wing of the church, sort of grabbed on to things. And if the Bible met what they wanted, they sort of used it. If it didn't quite do what met in their liberal way of thinking, they just sort of discarded it off the side. And then you had the conservatives, the Pharisees. We are going to protect and hold the Bible true. In fact, we're going to protect it so well that we're going to add to it. We're going to make some new laws. That's going to protect and preserve what God said. Because he didn't really finish. Because he's been silent for a while. So let's add a few things to make sure that it works the way we want it to work in our mindset. So instead of strengthening their walk with God, they became blinded and deafened so much that they could not even, con even believe the concept of a humble Messiah. So after 400 years of silence with the announcement and proclamation of the birth of Messiah, no one even noticed. Oh, we hear about the angel announcements and all those things, but it was announced to a very small group of people in a very small, unknown town. Remember when the wise men showed up, Herod and the priest they, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's go look in our books. I think there's something in there about that. So it wasn't that during those 400 years that, you know, like right before service, there's this countdown that says 399 years, 364 days, two hours and 15 minutes, the Messiah will be born. There's nothing. And then when he is born, there's not worldwide coverage it's just a small little group of people. And then we go through that little story, which really covers just a couple of weeks. Other than the wise men, which are two years later, and the flight to Egypt, and then the temple. Those are moments. So other than just that little bit at the beginning of his birth, and just a few things we know, that's it. And what happens to the Bible Silence. Silence. For 30 years. 
again. And I wonder what happened during those 30 years. Once again, did the people go, oh my goodness, the Messiah is here. What can we do? How can we prepare the way for him? No. Most of them didn't even know. They heard this little story about this weird little thing that happened in this strange little town. But nothing. What happened during those 30 years? Zechariah, he lost his son. Because John the Baptist was beheaded. Mary, during those 30 years, at the end of it, it appears that she raised her son, apparently as a single mother, for a long time, a portion of that. Because Joseph, apparently he died. Because he just disappears. The shepherds, they didn't become permanent evangelists traveling the world. No, they made the announcement to the people they saw, and probably about two weeks later, they were back in their fields. They were doing their thing. And it was just a story they told their kids. Hey, yeah, a couple years ago, yeah, this, this weird thing happened. The wise men spent two years trying to find this baby. They found him. And what happens, the Bible tells us they went home. And once again, it doesn't talk about them becoming these huge evangelists that spread the word around the world. No. They were just curious. And they spent two years trying to fill their curiosity. The one that bothers me the most is the people in Bethlehem. That poor little town was turned upside down in a moment. They're sitting there and they have this proclamation that the Messiah has been born in their town. There must have been excitement. And then all of a sudden, just weeks later, months later, this little child is just living in a house. He's going to school. Doing the things that all the other kids do. He's out playing with them. That's weird. And then two years later, this family disappears. And then every child, male child under two years old, is slaughtered. For what? Because of that baby that's no longer here that left. And for, 30, for 28 years now, they wonder whatever happened. We lost so much. And there's just been silence. So did those 30 years prepare them for Jesus' ministry? It could have. But it didn't. See, because the world was taken by surprise when he came out of obscurity. And he began his ministry, turning the religious world upside down and angering the religious leaders. No one was ready for what he was about to do. Except for Mary. The scripture that Mike read, right as we started. But she treasured these things pondering them in her heart. 
treasured? What does that mean? <gasps> to remember the same thing that God told the Israelites to do before the 400 years of silence. She remembered to recall to mind, to make sure she didn't forget. She remembered those things. And there's a couple of times where things happen that it says that she treasured and remembered those things. And then we get to John chapter 2. They're at a wedding. And at that wedding, they ran out of wine. And it doesn't say that Jesus stood up and says, I've got this. I have been practicing for this moment for 30 years. Let me show you my tricks. No. Mary stood up and she went over. And it says on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was invited to the wedding along with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him. She said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman. Children, don't ever call your mother woman, please. It will not go well. Jesus can get away with that, okay? What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So what does Mary do? Without thinking, without arguing, without anything. I'm sure she gave Jesus that look. We all know that look. And she turned to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. Do it. She just walks away. See, she remembered. She remembered. See, because I don't believe during that 30 years that Jesus was out in the backyard practicing miracles. Breaking one of the neighbor's kids' legs. And when they cried and the parents come running, he heals it real quick before they get there. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't hurt him. There's not even a bruise. I don't think that happened. And I'm not making light of it. I just, Mary knew that she was the mother of the Son of God. And she remembered what he could do. And so he turned his first miracle. But then we also look at, during those 30 years, Mary remembered. The other one that stands out is, what did Jesus do during those 30 years? You see, Jesus came as an example and as a sacrifice for us. What he did changes eternity for each and every one of us. But he also came to show us what it looked like to live as a Christian, to live a life serving God. So what did he do during those 30 years? Well, the Bible tells us that in Luke 2, 51 and 52. It tells us what he did during those years. 
And after the temple, it's after the incident at the temple, when Mary and Joseph got lost, it says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. There it is again. But, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He just didn't sit around for 30 years and play. He increased in wisdom. And that, that's described in Luke 2.40. Jesus, he grew and he developed his other children. Yet his spiritual development is, is first noticed. And he was aware of his identity. But he was... He had the wisdom at the far ends, at the far reaches, for what was appropriate for the age that he was. As he grew in stature. At age five, he didn't have the understanding of the 30-year-old when he went into ministry. But he knew. He knew he was different. He knew he was called to save us. And so he spent that time not being frustrated with God, going, what do you want me to do? I don't hear you. Talk to me. No, he spent that time building himself and his relationship. He increased in stature. Not only did he become physic bigger physically, he became a bigger person. It's where he became who he was as a human during those 30 years. He increased in favor with God and with man. He grew in a close personal relationship with his heavenly father. And he grew in his human friendships and his relationships. He got to know people. He hung out with people. You see, Jesus was not born a super man. He developed as he grew. He passed through the natural but perfect spiritual and physical development. At every stage, he was perfect for that stage, is what one Bible commentator refers to. And see, the development of Jesus should give every parent inspiration as they pray for their children to become strong in spirit and be filled with wisdom. And as they guide their children through those paths. And it's funny, as, as humans, we want to satisfy our curiosity. G G the world was silent. It was silent for 400 years. So we write books about what we think happened during those 400 years. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we write books about it. And then Jesus, the God is silent for another 30 years. We don't know, but we're going to write some books about it. And so to satisfy curiosity, men wrote their own so-called infancy gospels. They have spectacular and serious, silly miracles, like Jesus talking from the manger and healing a man made into a mule by a spell. Bringing clay birds to life with the clap of his hands, healing people with a sprinkling with his old bath water, and so forth. But the scripture has nothing to say about those years. But that silence... That silence. And the most unusual people that God used 
to break that silence. See, during that silence, we need to do as Mary did. And remember, in the times of silence, we need to do as Jesus did and prepare for our future. As we look over the Christmas story, as I talked about, God didn't use the most spectacular, wonderful, popular people. And when you look up in the, just a Google search, who did God use? Here's who God used. He used people that were available. Available. Zechariah had no children. Elizabeth was barren. And they were well stricken in their years. They were available to have a child. They were ready. Mary. She was a virgin. She met all of the requirements and she was available. Joseph. He was espoused to be married to Mary. Perfect person who's available. And the shepherds, they were out in the field, just right outside of Bethlehem. What was their special gift? They were available. And they were willing. That's the most important part. How many times do we get a call from God and we say, ah, not now. I don't think so. No, they were willing. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God. And they walked in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord. They were blamed. So when God told them, this is what you're going to do for me, they said, yes, sir. Yeah, Zechariah mouthed off a little bit. But they did it. Mary, here she's being told something that's changing her life. And she says, according to thy word, according to thy word, let this happen. Joseph, after the angel spoke to him, he did as the angel commanded. And the shepherds, after the big, bold, bright sky announcement, they didn't go, oh, that was neat. Hey, John, you got the, you got the sheep? How many do you have over there? No. They go, we got we to go see. They were willing to go look and see. And the last group of people that Jesus used, available, willing, and weak. Not the most prominent, not the biggest, not the strongest, the weak. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were old. And then he's, he's, he goes mute. Because when God tells him what's going to happen, he goes, you're, in a sense, you're crazy. He was weak in his belief in what was happening. But God used him. Mary, her first response was, is, uh, how's this going to happen? I don't understand. Joseph, his first thought is, I'm going to put her aside. Now, he was going to be nice about it. And I'm going to divorce her. That was his first thought. And to the shepherds, they were the outcast. They were the outcast. 
So during those times of silence in our lives, what are we doing? I talk to so many people and they go, I just can't hear God. He's not speaking to me. What does God want me to do? I go through that. God, what do you want? But I love in John 17, right before as Jesus is about ready to be crucified, he has a prayer that I think describes all of this. John 17. And of course, I took my placeholder out. John 17, 6 through 12. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Listen to this, people. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom ye ye have given him. And this eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now listen. He said, God, I did what what I was supposed to do. I did what you called me to do. It's time for me to come home. But listen. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. God has given us to spread the word. He's given us to proclaim the gospel. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours. All yours. And you are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming home to you, Holy Father. You see, it says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave, had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Who did God give Jesus? Twelve of the most unlikely people that you would ever think of that are going to spread the gospel around the world. 
Are you sitting here this morning thinking that maybe I'm one of those unlikely peoples that God just doesn't really have a lot for me? I don't have any special talents. I don't have anything particular that God can use from me. God turned the world upside down. Not with people that had talents and gifts and money and wealth. No, God turned the world upside down with people who were available, willing, and weak. Who thought that they didn't have anything that they could offer God. People during those times of silence, let's prepare ourselves. Let's remember. Let's allow God to grow us into that person that we cannot even believe or conceive that we can become. Because none of the disciples, I'm sure, thought that they would be standing before multitudes, healing people, and spreading the gospel, and building churches that have changed the world. And that message that they shared is still going around the world. Let's pray. Father... Father, I just thank you. I just thank you that you're, you're not a God that needs special, talented, unique people. So that those of us who don't fit those qualifications just don't fit. God, help us in our mind as, as we struggle, number one, with the silence. That we remember. That when we wake up to that silence, we go, I remember. That during the day, during that silence, we go, I remember. And at night when we go to bed, we say, I remember. Whether it's 400 years or 30 years or however long it is, we remember. And let us use that time wisely because that's what you tell us to do. To use that time wisely. To honor you. To grow in you. To grow in our relationships in the world. So that when we do step out into what you've called us to do. They will recognize us. And they will know that you called us. That you prepared us. And that you made a bunch of misfits into something that can change the world. We're going to worship some more because I just feel like we're just not done. And we're going to end the song with communion. So once again, if you don't have communion, please raise your hand. Because I don't want to break this when we go into communion. Tom will bring it to you. So why don't you stand and let's worship.
don't rush into this and make it just part of our schedule that we've got to get through because we've got something else coming I don't have anything in my calendar this week so I've got time so let's take time to let God speak to us in this holy moment allow us be willing and available and weak in the ways that he needs us to be weak so that he can mature us. See, being available, being willing, and being weak means that we're teachable. And if you're teachable, God can use you. Let us be teachable, God. And let us not take the gift of you coming for granted. Don't let us just gloss over it as just another event and we're racing off to the next one. No, you came and you didn't have to. God sacrificed his only son as the perfect sacrifice. Why? so that I can have a relationship with him in a way that is unimaginable. I can talk to him. I can speak to him. He can speak to me in ways that I don't understand. But he'll teach me. And while we're sitting right here, before we do this, I think it just God is telling me, There may be someone here who doesn't know him. Doesn't have that relationship with him. That they can have because of him coming and sacrificing himself. If that's you. If God's tugging at your heart right now saying, son, daughter, come home. Come to the table. And you know you need to come to that table. You can borrow my words. You can use your own words. Something like this. Father, forgive me. It's that simple. Father, forgive me. 
bring me into relationship with you. Bring me into fellowship with you. Forgive me of my sins. Restore me into the creature that you created me to be. And allow me to listen to you and follow you for all the days of your life, of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, I want to meet you at this table over here to your right before you leave. If you don't meet me, tell somebody. Tell somebody, I met Jesus today. I met Jesus as the new year started. And this is going to be the best new year that I've ever had. Because I'm walking with Jesus. Now let's do what Jesus commanded us to do. As he did with the disciples. They were all sitting together at a table together, a very intimate, quiet setting. And they were talking. And they didn't understand half of what he was talking about, but they figured it out. So he picked up the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. And he said something that took them a long time to figure out. And he goes, look at this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as baffled as they were, they did it. But he continued. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant that we live under. The covenant that gives us the right to stand in God's presence and talk to him. For us to stand in God's presence and for us to talk to him, for him to talk to us. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Mike, let's continue worshiping. All my life you have been faithful. Sing it with me. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I have able, I will of the goodness of God. His goodness is running after us. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, 
is running after me. My life laid down, I surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Together, church. All my life you have been so, so good with every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of the goodness. I will sing of the goodness of God. Fathers, as we leave this place now, as we leave this, this holy place, where your presence is. Help us to remember. To remember your words to us. To remember your commands to us. To remember your calling upon us. And help us to grow. To grow in wisdom to grow in stature, to grow in favor with you and with men. I pray this in your name. Amen.